The Morning Show. The Home Team. No, it's both. It's the crossover. Crossover, step back. Right here on 960theref.com. All right, this is episode number 172 of the Crossover Podcast. David Johnston from The Morning Show, Jeff Dantzler from The Home Team. Thanks so much for joining us here on, again, the Crossover Podcast here on 960theref, 960theref.com, and, of course, the great 960theref app. And uh, if you got to us without uh, going through the app, we would love for you to download it. You can um, go to the App Store on your iPhone, Google Play on your Android, and you will love it. You can do a lot of stuff with the 960 Ref app, including listen to uh, live Georgia sports. If you're within 75 miles of the old geofence, you can hear Jeff calling the Lady Dogs. We got baseball season coming up here in less than a month. Of course, Scott, Chuck with the Georgia basketball games and uh, all kinds of good stuff. One of the cool things, too, on the app, the old open mic feature, so you can Tell us something in your own voice. You got 30 seconds, but it'll get to us. You don't even have to identify yourself. So, again, the 960 The Ref app, very cool, and we love it. And we are recording this on Wednesday afternoon. The SEC football schedule just dropped less than an hour ago. So, we're excited. Jeff walks in. The first thing he does with this helmet schedule that we have here is how many teams have a bye before they play Georgia? And looking through, believe it or not, none. Just Georgia and Florida. Yeah, they don't got- know about the, the non-conference games, but, yeah, just the Georgia and Florida. I guess technically, yeah, Florida does, but I don't count that since we've got one too. I agree with you. And we had, remember, two years ago there were five teams that had byes before <laughs> Georgia. And uh, Now Georgia did share a bye with two of those. But basically the way the schedule sets up this year, we knew the dogs would open with Clemson and close with Tech. Uh, Georgia plays UAB the week after Clemson. Don't sleep on them and Charleston Southern before Tech. Uh, so two games that Georgia should win. And then you got eight SEC games squeezed in there in between. Uh, Georgia goes South Carolina at Vandy, Arkansas at Auburn, Kentucky, then the open date, then the Gators in Missouri and at Tennessee. So it's going to be a lot of fun. And I, I think with all the craziness of, of last year, the SEC uh, kind of landed onto something when they did their schedule releases, so everybody was waiting around. So remember, DJ, that the last few years, we'd find out about it around November. I remember, uh, I think, in the 2018 season, we were sitting there. It might have been the week of the Auburn game, and, hey, here's next year's schedule. But now that they've gone out and made a big deal out of it, it's really nice to see. And uh, once again, you've got some some high-profile games. Obviously, Georgia and Clemson, Alabama is playing the Miami Hurricanes, LSU going to UCLA, Ole Miss is playing Louisville. Uh, so there are a lot of games that are, are going to draw a lot of that national attention. And looking at the Georgia schedule, uh, it's I know there's Clemson and Charlotte. There are six home games. There's not a blockbuster of a uh, of a home game for the uh, for the Bulldogs this year. But uh, this is a very 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 doable schedule when you're talking about winning the East and and winning the SEC championship and potentially getting to the college football playoff. I agree with you 100% there, DJ. No matter what happens uh, with with Clemson, Georgia's got a golden opportunity. You you talk about priorities. Uh, Georgia obviously needs to win at Tech 
and go undefeated at home. Mm-hmm. And I think if you can accomplish that, that would also be avoiding the major upsets there. And then, you know, can the dogs in, in those other, what, five games find a way to go four and one? Who knows? Maybe three and two if it was uh, – I, I think Auburn's going to be good this year. So let's say if Georgia fell in a close one to Clemson and lost a tight one to Auburn – if the dogs found themselves ten and two playing, say Alabama or Auburn, who was eleven and one or twelve and zero in the SEC championship, would a win there get the dogs in? Similar to the situation Auburn was in in twenty seventeen, uh, when Georgia beat the Tigers in the SEC championship, I, I would guess that it, that it would. So I agree with you, DJ. I think the schedule and with what Georgia's got coming back, and we, we all know the secondary situation, but I think the dogs, the, the schedule sets up. It's never going to be easy in the SEC, but it sets up as nicely as you could possibly ask. You know, and the thing, too, Georgia's going to be a double-digit favorite or should be a double-digit favorite in every home game. Mm -hmm. UAB, South Carolina, Arkansas, Kentucky, and Missouri. I mean, I would be surprised if Georgia's not a double-digit favorite in every one of those games. And then you look at the games away from Athens. Georgia only has three true road games in the conference vandy which of course uh, september 25th might get ugly potentially yes (laughs) uh the game at auburn october 9th is certainly the most interesting one and then uh well november 13th at tennessee also but let's talk about that Auburn, auburn game october 9th and you know we're seeing the ramifications of the schedule where Georgia's playing Auburn in October and Tennessee in November, which is going to take a lot of getting used to. They didn't do Auburn any favors, Jeff. Auburn has to play at LSU the week before they host Georgia. That was one of the first things I looked for because Auburn, for whatever reason, is just red flagging for me coming into this year. And uh, peeking ahead to November, Tennessee goes to Kentucky the week before playing Georgia, which again gets back to, yeah. as you pointed out, you know, if, if you take away Florida, where Georgia and Florida both have the open date, nobody having that open date. So Auburn is going to be in a slugfest with LSU. You know, Georgia's going to play Arkansas. That'll be a tough and physical game. We know that. But I, I think that, again, sets up as nicely as you could possibly ask for for Georgia and the Deep South's oldest rivalry. Yeah, and I, I like the fact, too, that Again, and I, I Auburn always gives me red flags, so that's uh, that's not anything different. But they could be playing a night game mm-hmm. at LSU on a Saturday night, while Georgia might get an earlier game. I don't know. Maybe the Arkansas game will be a night game too here in Athens, but the Dogs will be at home, and Auburn will be on the road the week before, so they're going to have a little bit of a shorter week. Some people kind of dismiss that. Oh, playing a night game mm-hmm. on the road when you've got a big game the following week and you you might be thinking that you're that we're splitting hairs talking about getting home in the middle of the night on Sunday morning, but it, it there's a little bit to that. It matters. Yeah, and you're, you're behind getting started, Dave. I remember uh, the week uh, leading up to the South Carolina game in 2019. I, I was saying on this show and on on some uh, pregame shows that I was extraordinarily worried. Because we had a night game at Tennessee and South Carolina had an open date. I'm like, this, and we had a noon kickoff, mm-hmm. night game on the road that a noon kickoff. I go, this is a very, very short week and it's worrisome. And, and I'm saying that yeah. the whole time. Then we lose and people are 
tweet that. Well, you're just making excuses. I'm not making excuses. Like, I was saying this I've all week. I've been saying this. That this. This was concerning coming in. So you're exactly right, Dave. That's that's the other thing, you know, when you start going through, can you get those little breaks and not have to play too many of those 7 o'clock away from home, followed by the yeah, noon the It next makes a week. difference. It, it certainly does. And, and it, I think the schedule, again, sets up very nicely. And also, it was Connor Riley that wrote this on Dog Nation. At least that was the first place I saw it, and it's an interesting point. All three of Georgia's SEC road games are against teams with a new coach. Uh, good point yeah. there. And, and Auburn, this is interesting. They usually have a softer one for later but they're going to be working on building confidence. They go Akron, Alabama State, then they go to Penn State, <laughs> then host Georgia State. So they, you know, even if they lose at Penn State, ought to ought to have the numbers clicking there. And then they go to LSU and host the Dogs. But that is that that is interesting scheduling there, and maybe it pays off for them early. But the problem then in the back half of that. Uh, they go leading into the Alabama game. It's Ole Miss at A&M, Mississippi State at South Carolina, and then Alabama. So you, you kind of hit that gauntlet that they don't have one of the softer ones there early. No, I think in looking at their schedule, they've got a three. They got a stretch of four games where three of them are at Penn State, at LSU, and Georgia at home. And then on the back end, mm-hmm. you know, they got a four-game stretch where they have Texas A&M November six, and then finish at home against Alabama. So they got they got a tough schedule. I know we hadn't had a chance to sit there and grind out. I mean, we're literally just looking at the helmet sure. schedule. This just came out, so we hadn't had a chance to take every single thing in. But uh, Brian Harson has inherited a pretty tough schedule there at Auburn. Yeah, he certainly has. But if you're an SEC West coach – You've yeah. been, you've got a tough schedule <laughs> no do. matter what. And especially now when you look at, say, Mississippi State, for example, with Mike Leach in there, I, I don't think they're going to go 10-2 and two or 11-1, and one, but because of the offense he runs, they're not an easy out. You better no. be. It, it reminds you. And, some, and that's the thing. It's a good point. Look at their September 25th. They're home against LSU, October 2nd at A&M. They do have an off week, and then October 16th, Bama. Uh, but but that's the thing. For those three teams, he's not a given. He's not an easy out. No, and I think the thing before, and this is not a knock on Joe Moorhead. I think the guy's a good football coach. But uh, for Mississippi State, for Kentucky in the East, remember how much more he used to worry when they had Hal Mummy there because mm-hmm. it was just – it was – I don't want to say – a gimmick's not a good word, but – they had their niche in what they did. That niche was not going to be good enough to get them the SEC right. championship game, but was a good was it good enough if you got hot on a given day? Absolutely. Sure. And just look no further, DJ, than opening day 2020. And I know LSU was was down from their super team in 19, but Mississippi State goes out there day one and throws for over 600 yards <laughs> and beats the defending champs. You know who saw that? That's coming? right. So that's a revenge game for LSU. That's right. Mississippi but, State better look out. But but I, I love looking at this. And again, I left out I think the Auburn Penn State one earlier when I was talking about. It. But to get Georgia, Clemson, Alabama, Miami, Auburn, uh, Penn State, LSU, and and UCLA. So you do have some good high-profile games, but once again, Georgia's in a spot. Uh, when you look at Georgia, at Florida, and South Carolina, uh, Georgia is the school that is playing uh, two, uh, along with, obviously, you got Clemson, South Carolina, and Florida, Florida State. Georgia's also playing Clemson. South Carolina, along with playing Clemson, is playing Troy, East Carolina, and Eastern Illinois, and, and Florida just... 
uh, continues to, to underwhelm with their schedule uh, b- besides FSU as they've got Samford, South Florida, and Florida Atlantic. On so they there. play one, let's see, they play Florida Atlantic, South Florida, and Florida State. So a fourth of their schedule is Florida teams. So if you're looking at it, it I, I would guess is Georgia the only team playing 10 power fives just off the top of my uh, Tennessee's got Pitt, so yeah, you would have to throw Tennessee in there as well, uh, but but no go for Texas A and M, and you know not for Alabama. And you know, Auburn does have Penn State, but three softies there. So Georgia's done a great job of, of scheduling since that twelfth game and, came in. So that's a good point. That that kind of takes me down the road I wanted to go to next with like let's look specifically at Georgia's schedule now instead of the SEC. Mm-hmm. That's a good point you bring up. So. Georgia has 10 Power 5 games. And UAB, like you said, that ain't a, uh, don't that ain't a gimme them. by any means. As we know this, and Dave, we say this in baseball all the time, you play a team from the South, yeah. they're going to have good players. They're going to have good players, and, and, just and be- they're going to have a chip on their shoulder. And just because the guy's a defensive end and he's 5'11", 240, yeah. he wasn't recruited by Alabama right. or Auburn or Georgia, doesn't mean he's not a good player. He just didn't fit yeah. the physical parameters. Hey, look, and it was a generation ago, I understand, but UAB almost won here in Athens. Got that right. In 2003, <laughs> that was... <laughs> Scary. <laughs> yes, Scary. it was. Yes, it was. I think that's the game where uh, Russ Tanner tells the story of a guy got by him and and uh, he basically had to tackle him from uh, to save Greeny from getting sacked and uh, and uh, Greeny. I mean, it was a fifteen or a fifteen yard penalty, but Greeny was like, "Appreciate that. Appreciate I that. Didn't yeah. Need to get hit on that one. Sometimes anyway, you, you get beat. You get you beat. Get beat yeah. You get beat. It's a it's a funny story the way he tells it, but. Here's a couple. All right, so the schedule itself, the home schedule, is is not the greatest one. But here's a few things I do like about it. There's only one instance of the schedule where you have back to back home games, Mm -hmm. and I think that's good because that means you don't have like three or four in a row, and then then you're away for a a good portion of the schedule. And the other thing I like about it is we've got two games in October. Hallelujah! At home, I know. Hallelujah. And we've had we've had schedules where we didn't have any October games. Yeah, we've gone over in Arkansas and Kentucky, so you hope good weather there. And I think, Dave, with that point as well, Georgia does not have back-to-back games where the dogs are away from home. And two right. of those road games, Vanderbilt and Tech, uh, Georgia figures to have 50% plus. Mm-hmm. We just got past the a plu, <laughs> not just a plurality, but a majority of fans in those two stadiums. Sure. And I mean, I just remember looking at the 19 schedule when we opened at Vandy and closed at Tech, saying, you know what, we're going to have more people than them in both of those games. Mm-hmm. So that that's a good thing. So yeah, the six home games, the one neutral uh, with, with with Clemson, and the one neutral with Florida, where it figures to be 50 50, and Georgia figures to have plus attendance. Uh, against both Vandy and Tech. So, really, if you're talking about raucous crowds going against you, you're looking at Auburn and Tennessee. Sure. But is the schedule doable? Yes, it is. Yes. And I kind of envision the Clemson game as almost like an NFL preseason game. And just by that, I mean, it's not that I don't want to win, but for either team, Mm -hmm. the the one that loses the game, it's it's just one that you – You've got a good loss. You don't have a good win, obviously, but you got a good loss. And if you take care of business the rest of the season, it's probably not going to affect – well, it's certainly not going to affect your conference standing, and it probably won't affect your 
your uh, your playoff standing if if you know if you want to look that far ahead too. I'd like to see Georgia beat Clemson. Don't get me wrong, but um, that's that should be a, a whale of a game. And again, the team to me that that doesn't win, hey, you got a you've got a good loss under your belt, and you you hope the other team. <laughs> You know, has a great season because that's what will be talked about at the end of the year. By the way, this is kind of flown under the radar a little bit, too. So, Scott Strickland, the Florida AD, mm-hmm. and Todd Stansberry, the Tech AD, their time on the college football playoff committee is done. So, they're not on the committee anymore. So, that also, I don't care what people say. That helps, let Georgia. Me, let me tell you something, DJ. In 2018 – those two guys were on it, and Oklahoma's AD Joe Castiglione yeah. was yeah. on it. So we're we wind up fifth, you know, two years in a row in eighteen and nineteen. And the bottom line is Oklahoma got our spot. Those are three votes you know you're not getting, right? And there are thirteen people on there. It's just it's not going to happen. And you know, I'm, hey, I'm not blaming Scott Strickland or, or, or Todd Stansberry. That's just. The way it is. The way it worked out, exactly. That's why, I mean, in, in Georgia's case, uh, you know, for any team you're looking to do this, but you've just got to leave no doubt whatsoever. And maybe this year things can get a little bit friendlier with that because that Clemson game could certainly put the dogs in a situation. I mean, again, let's just hypothesize Georgia loses to Clemson, okay, loses a league game wins the SEC. Okay, at 11-2 and as the SEC champs, do you go? Or let's say Georgia were to beat Clemson, run the table, lose in Atlanta. Would would Georgia get in yeah. then? I mean, you know, and, and hey, the, this once the season starts, I hate talking about stuff like that, but <laughs> but this time of year... But it's the can, fun time to look at. Yeah. That's the thing, and, and, I, and look, and I'm not... I'm like you, I don't want to put up doomsday scenarios, sure. but the one thing about beating Clemson that you would have if you were to run the table, if you're seeing, you know, Darth Saban mm-hmm. in Atlanta for the championship and you don't beat him, if that's your only loss, do you still get to go to the to the playoff? I felt like... Because you know if they were in that boat... Oh, they're in. They're in. Well, that, that was one of the things that... That's, I, I don't want to say softened the, the 2018 SEC championship loss... I was firmly convinced we were going to have a rematch with Alabama in the playoffs. Oh yeah, the Orange oh, yeah. Bowl. Like that. Oh, that was such a great game. We're going to see it again. <laughs> had we won it, um, but no, I think that's a valid point. And again, another example we talked about Auburn in 2017 being a two-loss team with a shot at it. I felt if Georgia had upset LSU in 2019, they were already in in the playoffs. Mm-hmm. In my opinion. Oh yeah, yeah. So, so you, but again, I just feel like different teams might be playing under different parameters. And by the way, yes. mentioning those guys rolling off, coming on the committee, Mitch Barnhart from Kentucky, Boo Corrigan from NC State, Chris Del Conte from Texas. I don't know if Texas and Oklahoma, if that <laughs> is much of a difference there. Will Shields, who played at Nebraska, and then Joe Taylor, former head coach and current AD at Virginia Union. So I, I'll, I'll take this trade oh, yeah. for what was on there before when you had – uh, as you mentioned, Joe Castiglione, Ken Hatfield, who, by the way, he had Clemson. He was a head coach at Clemson at one point. Ronnie Lott, 
I got could hit you. Yeah, it could. Todd Stansberry and Scott Strickland. So the five that rotated off and the five that rotated on, that's a plus for Georgia. Well, again, when you're talking about your two biggest rivals, ADs on there, and then back-to-back years you're vying for a spot yeah. with a school whose AD is on there. And it's one of those where they have to recuse themselves when they talk about their teams. Like, okay, but you can still vote against my team. <laughs> I think that stuff's – I mean, I get it. You you have to do that, but I think that's way overrated when that's used. Well, he stepped out of the oh, Okay. Oh, okay. Well, guess what? He, yeah, he, he ain't going to be voting yeah. for Georgia. Yeah, he ain't going to be voting for Georgia, and he's around these people all the, the other time he's not stepped out of the A hundred percent. Yeah. All right. We'll um, certainly have a lot of time to talk about the schedule here between now and September 4th. I uh, did want to mention a couple of other things and get your thoughts on Jeff. And let's start out with um, the new football coach at Tennessee, which that news came down this morning that uh, Danny White, the new AD at Tennessee, is bringing his football coach with him. He hired Josh Heupel from Missouri, and he's been at UCF for three years. Now he takes a Tennessee job. So let me ask you your opinion on this. Is this Josh Heupel, who is who has done a great job, he's coached in the SEC, He's got great offensive numbers. He's a good developer of quarterbacks. Or is this Josh Heupel who inherited a lot of great talent and an undefeated team from Scott Frost at US and UCF, and there's been what we like to call the creep, where they've gone from 12-1 and to 10-3 and to 6-4. and That's how I think this he's going to be perceived one way or the other i would agree with that i do think it was a good hire uh, Tennessee safe hire safe hire and they thought okay this is a guy uh, gosh we remember him 20 something years ago when he was a great player at oklahoma, yeah, at oklahoma. and in fact uh, he handed i guess it would have been or let's see when oklahoma beat florida state in the right. bcs championship back in the 2000s good old 13 to 2 13 to 2 yeah and uh and, and like you said he did a great job at missouri but but i think they were looking for you know, everybody's looking for that offensive guy right now. And, you know, right now, Tennessee, they've just had so many guys jump in the portal. But all it takes, we all know how quickly momentum can change now. And, and, and if they feel like they've got a bit of a niche. So I thought it was a good hire and a safe hire for the volunteers. Yeah, yeah. It was better than the last. Is it one that makes you shake in your boots or anything like that as a Georgia fan or an Alabama fan? or No. No. But it's a good do, safe hire. I think he's, he's better than the last – two hires they've made for well sure. let's see here the one before was a disaster yeah and, then, and he's going to be having to clean up that mess and then butch jones, then butch before, jones that. before that and he i mean he's coming in on the heels of you know Derek dooley having to go in and inherit a bad situation oh. from uh from lane kiffin and, and then it didn't the work there Fulmer, with dooley yeah. and, and 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 i guess jones he did put it back together and then it kind of fell apart on him but yeah, I mean, it seems like a, a good, solid hire. But it's funny how Tennessee has hired UCF to come up and, and be their football program. No, it's it, it's amazing how that goes. And, and this is this is a crazy offseason. You know, and by the time this comes out, we'll probably know, is this Kevin Steele going to stay on as the D.C.? That would probably yeah. be a good move uh, for them. You know, is he going to be the assistant head coach? Who knows? Their, their uh, defensive coordinator at UCF this year was Randy Shannon. And Willie Martinez was their assistant head coach. So would we see any of either of them I don't go to know. Knoxville? Willie's already been in Knoxville before. I love Coach Martinez. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So um, yeah, I don't. It'll be interesting to see what what Heupel's coaching staff will look now, like. I would think keeping Steele would be an option, though. 
Well, maybe Steele might apply for the UCF job. He could. He could. <laughs> or maybe Randy Shannon. Randy, Randy, Randy Shannon gets Randy, promoted to head coach. That's why, Dave, you do a great job of pointing out. We record this on a Wednesday afternoon. I just see, I like everybody to know. 346, yeah. so somebody's going to be listening to this on Friday. Those idiots exactly. don't know that Central yes. Florida's hired this guy. And, yes. And, Dave, I did, I did want to mention, too, that uh, today on Wednesday – the great Hank Aaron was yep. laid to rest. Yep. And uh, when you talk about legends yeah. uh, with a capital L, uh, here are just some numbers I threw together. And we're baseball guys. Okay. Uh, from 57 to 73, DJ, he hit at least 30 home runs in 15 out of 17 years. Uh, eight of those, he had 40. One of those he didn't hit 30, he had 29. <laughs> from, what happened? What happened? From 55 to 71, he batted at least 313 out of 17 times with a 298 and a 292. He had 11 years with at least 100 RBIs. And from 55 to 67, he had 13 consecutive 100 run seasons, 15 in all. So 100 runs or 100 RBIs in a combined 26 seasons. And here's a favorite stat, too, that if you took away his 755 home runs, he still had over 3,000 hits. hits. It's amazing. And probably because he played his entire career for either Milwaukee or Atlanta, he wasn't going to be in the same conversation. Well, I don't mean it that way, but it was like Willie Mays Mm -hmm. and – and Mickey Mantle were going to get more publicity because they played in New York. And Hank played in Milwaukee for most of his career and then played in the Deep South and, and Atlanta back in the late 60s and early 70s isn't what Atlanta is now. And, and Atlanta back then was closer to the size of Athens like a, now. Yeah, I was going to say. And now it's got to be people of it, 7 oh, yeah, million people. Yeah, or so, whatever. I mean, it's, yeah. it's, 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 it's totally different. And the thing I, I like about it, too, and Hank Aaron was my first favorite player. You know, sure. as kids, we all have favorite players. He was my first one. I did uh, – I've said this on the air. I did a uh, my first class project report where you had to get up in front of the class and speak, you know, which is terrifying when you're having to do that the first time, was on Hank Aaron. And I uh, will always w- remember that. And just he, – he wasn't controversial. He wasn't um, – he wasn't Barry Bonds. He wasn't. He and look, he could have. And I'm sure he, he probably, probably held back a lot of stuff over his life, even up until his death last week, and and rightfully so for the stuff that he went through. But he didn't portray it that way after he finished playing baseball. Oh, he was a, a, an incredible class act, a tremendous ambassador. Uh, for the game and, and just he's one of those guys too where we talk about sports is yeah. and always should be the great unifier and everybody loved Hank Aaron and, and as you said the things he had to deal with and that in those times and again you're talking about after the 73 season he had 713 home runs. Right. He's one away from the record. And he's got to go through the entire offseason. And he's getting death threats. Yeah, yeah. And he went out, I think it was an opening day when he tied it, and then obviously – Then there was the talk of – Oh, don't play. Don't play in Cincinnati, the like, rest of the series. You know, you want to break the record at home. Yeah. And then as it turns out, he ends up breaking the record at Fulton County Stadium. And I think – I guess it was Ted Turner – and whoever may have been running the Braves at the time, um, they were 
smart enough to realize that Hank Aaron needs to be a part of this Braves organization. You Absolutely. Don't put him in the front office. Absolutely. He can do so much good for the Braves and for baseball. Let's not have him, you know, be retired and then just kind of kind of just be out there doing whatever. They made him the Braves, and he was a Brave for life. And that's a great point, too, Dave, because even uh, the, the Yankees, uh, with their unparalleled yeah. history and heritage, Babe Ruth and Joe DiMaggio wanted very much. You know, there's, there's you know, you, you see pictures, Joe DiMaggio being a bench coach for the Oakland A's, and it just it, it didn't look right. And, and Ruth was – semi-quasi-promised a future manager's job, but you're exactly right, Ted Trey. We all know this. He was a master salesman. And, and, and Did Aaron, did he want to finish his career in Milwaukee? Is I that why they so. traded him to the Bre- to, to, to the, the Brewers? Brewers. I would, and I would guess Bud Selig might have had something to do yeah, with it because that true. was his favorite yeah. player yeah. growing up. Yeah, but, but Aaron. they got Dave May for Hank Aaron. <laughs> <laughs> but I could get it. I mean, because I never really thought about it. It's like, why did they trade him to the Brewers instead of him just finishing his career with the yeah. Braves, but that must have been it, it the, the Bud Selig tie and the Milwaukee connection. It, he also d- deserves a lot of the credit for being a part of what John Sherholtz and Bobby Cox built with those phenomenal teams in the 90s. And uh, just a, a couple of quick, quick stories, and I know we got to go, but uh, I, I can remember uh, a, an old friend of mine, uh, his, his dad, saying when the Braves were just – you remember we used to watch them when they were awful in the late 80s. So, ah, oh, they just hired another hitting coach. My God, Hank Aaron works for the two. Just have him go down there and talk to him. But there was a good story, too, that a, a friend of mine had, had, had sent me about the great Ernie Johnson, uh, who was a pitcher and then, of course, a legendary broadcaster for the Braves. And somebody had to say, well, Aaron didn't always get off to the best start. And he goes, well, here's the thing. He didn't like batting gloves. So he'd get off to a little slow start, but his hands, had, he'd just have blisters. They'd be bloody and everything. And he said, by around early to mid-May, he said, when those blisters would callous up, you knew. Yeah. <laughs> It was, it was about on. to get un- game on. So they would always kind of go peek down and see how the, the hammer's hands <laughs> looked. And they said, oh, boy, when those things had blistered over, he was going to have a day. A day. And, and he, had, he many. had many. Even with all the stats you threw out there, it's just amazing to think that I believe I read there were 60 greater seasons of home runs than his greatest season. 47. Never hit 50, hit? No. 47 home runs, but the consistency of it to get to 755 was amazing. And his RBI record, 2297, yeah. still, still stands. stands. As does his total bases, total bases. record yeah. Yeah. also still stands. So, I mean, you look like when you're talking about average hits, homers, total bases, doubles. I mean, yeah. he's up at the run scored. He's up yep. at the top. And all of them. And I always go back. I was uh, texting with the great Manny Diaz the other day, who is a tremendous baseball fan, and I'd send him a little clip of Roberto Clemente making a throw, and I said, by the way, how about the NL 1960s all-decade outfield? Clemente, <laughs> Mays, and Aaron. That's pretty strong right there. Yeah, I that mean, that's insane. That might be the best ever. That is insane. It really is. Hey, a couple of other quick notes. They're both baseball notes. Jeff, Georgia baseball. I believe I saw on Twitter our man Gordon Beckham was on a podcast and said he was hanging it up. I don't if that's not the case, but I, th- I think I saw that, and I just wanted to throw out there that, uh, you know, Josie's on a vacation mm-hmm. far away. A young freshman in 2006, Georgia going to the College World Series, and then 
the season that Georgia had in 2008, but uh, Georgia's greatest player in my book, I just wanted to give a shout-out to Gordon if he has kind of hung it up. He had over 800 hits in his big league career, and, and for the you know, he was a first-round draft pick of the White Sox. What are we, 13, 12, 13 years later? A long, solid major league career, but uh, a tip of the old cap to Gordon Beckham. Well, and certainly one of the the great athletes and one of the most beloved players in any sport in Georgia history. And I just never will forget that last trip to the play against NC State and how electric it was at Foley Field. Just a a wonderful family. And uh, we love the Beckhams, and hopefully Gordon's going to be around here a whole bunch. Yeah, and the other thing I want to note, our man Anthony Dasher at UGAsports.com had a story that I saw today that uh, Jonathan Cannon has mono, and he uh, Dash had he had talked to Strickland, um, so he says at least the first three weeks of the season, but that is a uh, that is a tough one as we are less than a month away from getting the season going, and we've seen other Georgia athletes over the years have mono and, and and struggle coming back and hopefully Jonathan will be able to, to make a comeback but this is the guy that I think it was going to be the the anchor of the of the rotation potentially in a first round draft pick DJ I agree with you. you you could see last year with Hancock Wilcox and Webb when Cannon would come out he's the next yeah. guy mm-hmm. you know following Losey and Christopher sure. as well and uh, you know that the thing with that mono, and you know who knows, it affects different people in different ways. I remember Alex McCree was a great pitcher for us. He got it, and it, you know, he he was just never the same coming back. We had a women's basketball player, Rebecca Rouse, and he was terrific. She missed an entire season, and it just weakens you so much. And and I think one of the things that that, that hits some some athletes when they get it is, you come back, you felt so bad. You think you're 100%, but you're only like 60%. You yeah. just feel kind of icky. So hopefully at some point he can come back. And maybe it's maybe we're in a position and he gets back to 100% and he's got a fresh arm around early to mid-May. You know, but, but Maybe it's like getting somebody at the trade deadline. Uh, there you go. But I hate <laughs> to hear that because he is a special yeah. young talent. Yeah. And, and first and foremost, you know, we wish him nothing but the oh, best sure. for his health and everything else. And then hopefully he can – you know, get back with the team. The, the old kissing disease, <laughs> mono. Yeah, and Rebecca Rousey. So she, so she was sidelined by it, and now she can dissect the cells that have yeah, to do with yeah, it and, she's and all cur- that. Curing COVID, man. She's a genius. <laughs> yeah, she's been on the front lines of Incredible. it. There. Where is she? In where do we? Where is she? I, I don't know. She, I, I know. Yeah, but yeah, she's, she's either probably up in Minnesota at the Mayo Clinic or the look. CDC or something. Very impressive. She literally is a certified genius. Yeah. <laughs> A so if she walked in the room right now, we Her would GPA, not be the smartest people in the room. That'd be like if the stitch gums came in here. Like, Listen, me and Dave, we can't even spell yeah, y'all's majors. Exactly. Okay? So, and we didn't even combine for a 4 No, not even close. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, Great stuff, Jeff. Enjoyed I enjoyed it. it. Uh, we'll do it again next week. Thanks so much for joining us here on the Crossover Podcast. Again, 960 The Ref and the 960 The Ref app which you can find in the App Store with your iPhone or Google Play with your Android. And uh, as we said, episode 172, just cooking right along here. He's Jeff Dantzler. I'm David Johnston. Thanks so much for joining us here. This has been the Crossover Podcast, 960 The Ref and the 960 The Ref app. You've been listening to The Crossover on 960theref.com. Thank you. 
Every fan knows the right player in the right position can be a game changer. Put LifeLock between your identity and identity thieves to monitor and alert you to threats you could miss. Plus, with a U.S.-based restoration specialist on your team, you won't have to face drained accounts, fraudulent loans, or other losses from identity theft alone. All backed by the LifeLock Million Dollar Protection Package. Change the game on identity theft. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com aware.